0: grace on the go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, April 21st, 2019, Easter Sunday from our 8 a.m., 9 30, and 11 a.m. services.
1: God's grace and his mercy and his peace are absolutely and certainly yours because of his victory on this Easter day. Amen. So we have a sister church in, um, in Africa, in Ethiopia, and the name of the church is called uh, Makane Yesu. Makane Yesu Lutheran Church. It's three times larger than our denomination here in North America. Three times. They baptize over a third of a million people every year. Brand new to the Christian faith. A third of a million. In America, our denomination on average baptizes fewer per church. Fewer than two annually. We baptize about 12, but you know, anyway. And then we have about 30 kids every year. Anyway, we baptize a bunch, but 300,000. Can you believe that? 300,000. So many of these people have never, never heard the name and the work and the message of Jesus Christ. Never heard it. They have come to faith through um, animism, you know, worshiping plants and trees and rocks and Uh, animals, that kind of thing, or pantheism, many, many gods. Uh, They come to them from Islam sometimes, and sometimes come to them from a very secular, secular faith, Um, very materialistic. And so when they come, one of their ways of doing is to show a movie. Like the Jesus of Nazareth movie, that's been translated into dozens and dozens of languages. And it's it's dated now, but it's accurate to the scriptures, and it beautifully portrays uh, the basic message of Christ. And so... What they do is they gather everyone in a room and they pack these places, they just pack it. And so the kids are sitting on the floor and in the front, in the aisles, and the parents are sitting towards the back and standing up along the back, the adults. And they've all been invited by somebody from the church. So there's a number of church people. they kids and adults. And then they show the movie. And as the movie is being shown, oh, by the way, my voice has come back. Second wind. So you're stuck. Too bad. Okay. So, uh, those of you hoping I would lose my voice, and we'd go home early. Oh, I'm sorry. No. So anyway, so we have they, they show the movie and they start portraying the life of Christ, right? So you get the, Jesus' birth and his boyhood, and then he begins his public ministry. And as it goes, some of these people have never heard that story. And when they get to the moment of Jesus' passion, and if you look at the Bible, you discover that 40 to 50 percent of all the Gospels takes place in those eight days from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, eight days. It's like half of the Gospels. Obviously, this is a big hurricane deal, okay? What we do here and how it culminates. But as they go into those days where Jesus is arrested and then he's beaten, and he's mocked, and he's hated, he's betrayed, he's denied, he's tortured, the people in the, in the room, they've never heard this story. And they see this man of love and wisdom and gentleness say nothing and endure that punishment, that torture that was rightly ours. And there are audible gasps, audible crying in the room. Good Friday, you know, just took up not long ago. It was not many hours ago, really, that we did in a, a service of darkness on Good Friday. And, uh, and it was amazing. If you had kids there on Friday night, thank you. They were awesome. Uh, we love children in worship. Just love it. I don't care if they're yelling, talking. I don't care. We just want them here. But on Good Friday, we kind of say, it's great if we could have as much silence. The kids were great, so well-behaved. But we do this moment in the service. It's great. So Liz, Bo- Liz is over there, and we have a big kettle drum. I don't know if that's what's called. timpani, kettle. Uh, something. Something. I'm not a music guy. So, uh, and she goes, and then whang, bam. And it's a symbolic thing in the middle of the real silence to symbolize the stone rolling in Jesus' tomb and then crash into place. The finality of death is the idea. It's just, and I remember over the years, I, I know it's coming and I still jump. And, um, but the kids were great. And so she's doing this, bang. And you heard one little kid in there go, Whoa. It's very cool. So in this movie that they're showing in Ethiopia, though, there's tears, and there's anguish, and there's sighing and cries. And you know what's funny is one of the little boys who's a Christian member of the church, and he's heard the story uh, before, He's, he hears all these noises and all this in the, in the church, and he, he turns around, and he stands up on his chair, and he waves his hand, and he says, he says wait, wait, wait. He says, don't be afraid. He gets up again. I've seen it before. <laughs> and so it's a fascinating story. Could you, be, could you imagine being exposed to the gospel for the very first time? I mean, having never, ever heard it. And by the way, if for some reason... You are here today and have not heard the story, I pray you hear it well. I pray you hear it. Because there's a story here of one who suffered on our behalf and the punishment that was due me was given to him. But today we celebrate the victory. This is the ticker tape parade. This is the celebration. Good Friday is the game-winning touchdown drive with no timeouts. The lights are going out. All my, all my players are injured, and I got 99 yards to go and no hope. Today is the ticker tape parade. Today is the day we celebrate. There's a pastor, uh, his name is Phil Calloway, and he does something cool, uh, and I never did this. I, it would have been neat for me to do this. He takes his kids with him, he's a little boy, uh, on pastoral visits and calls, so he take him to the hospital or take him, especially when he's visiting other kids, who maybe we're sick. But he'd take him up when babies are born and stuff like that, but also would take him on things like weddings or funerals and things like that. So this little boy, this little five-year-old, and five-year-olds are very unpredictable. Um, You just can't count on what they're going to say. And every once in a while, it could be a little uh, irreverent, so I'm going to ask your forgiveness in advance a little bit. But it's interesting because he took him to a service at the cemetery, and they finished the service, and then they got in the car, and as they were driving out, it was a large cemetery, And as the little boy, he's five years old, remember, he looks out and he sees a freshly uh, built grave. There's a pile of dirt on the side and there's just a hole. And as they go right by, he looks in and he goes his dad, he pulls on him and he says, Dad, Dad, look, one got away. (laughs) Please forgive me, I don't mean any disrespect at all. But there's something powerful about what he said. Because Easter is the day that we celebrate that one got away. And because that one got away, so can I. So can I, that death does not get the last word for me. Death doesn't get the last word for you. Praise God that there is one who got away, who defeated death and defeated sin. And for that I'm thankful but I want to back up just a little bit back to those folks in Ethiopia who maybe had heard the story for the first time but let's back up even farther to Mary Mary Magdalene Mary's story is a unique one she's in Jesus inner circle she's not a disciple per se not one of the twelve but she is clearly one of that inner circle of group who was who was well loved welcomed in she would been she had had demons possessed demons multiple demons cast out of her by Jesus So she was forever grateful. Some traditions tell her that she was a very sinful woman, maybe even a prostitute. Maybe not, but we don't know. Tradition says different things, but she had been redeemed and restored, and so she loved her Jesus. Imagine her for a moment. Suspend your disbelief. Imagine that you don't know the story. Imagine being that whole group of women and the disciples you know I imagine the night before what what that conversation must have been like because the disciples are weenies they are cowards they are terrified the heroes of Easter Sunday are the women do not forget it it's one of the powerful testimonies to the truth of the resurrection account because in ancient times to have women as witnesses meant nothing and yet that is what happened And so the truth of Scripture is that we're basing our testimony on the witnesses of the women. Jesus entrusted that to the women. The message came to them, and they brought it to the rest of us. Praise God. Praise God for that. Because out of what was seen to be weakness is tremendous strength. But imagine that conversation the night before. You can see the women. They're in the upper room. The lights are off. They're scared to death. Because the disciples are convinced the next knock on the door is going to be for them. That the Romans and the Jewish temple guard are going to come after them. And so they're huddled in the corner and here's the women making noise, putting pots together and and getting spices and oils and, and and lighting candles and getting cloths. And they're going, what are you doing? Shut up. And the women are saying, we have to honor our Savior. We have to go. To the tomb, we can't allow his body to go untended. They had to wait for the Sabbath. The Sabbath began Friday at sundown. It continued through until dawn on Sunday. And so their first opportunity to go would be to go then. And the disciples must have said, well, if you're going to be so stupid, we ain't going with you. And so the women imagine them, warned by the disciples, probably scared also but courageous, Make their way, make their way to the tomb. Imagine what they're what they're thinking as they contemplate what they saw. Because what they saw was a complete and a certain death. They knew what a Roman crucifixion looked like. They knew that there are no survivors, never, no how and no way. Anyone today who dares to claim that the Romans did not know how to kill somebody either just doesn't want to believe it, or is stupid. They knew how to kill people. And Jesus was not, as the Princess Bride says, mostly dead. He was completely and truly dead. A death from which no one could return. A death by which a claim of resurrection would make you the laughingstock of the entire community. Imagine being Mary because she was there at the foot of the cross with John, with Jesus' mother. She was there holding his lifeless body. She was there sorrowing, mourning, grieving with Jesus' mother. She was there holding his body and laying him in a tomb with Joseph of Arimathea. She heard the stone roll and crash into place. She may have witnessed the Roman guard in military precision, standing guard while the governor's seal is placed upon the tomb to be sure that it was not disturbed. And then walk with her in the lingering darkness of Sunday morning, carrying the spices and the cloths that would enfold and begin to embalm the body of the one that she had believed was the Lord of all, the Promised Messiah the Savior. Well, those promises in her mind certainly must have seemed shattered, completely lost. Now imagine as she gets there the horror of a broken tomb, a tombstone rolled away, scattered guards, and then there's this weird messenger or two, strange, difficult to understand. What could he be saying? An unbelievable message and then finally looking around, a missing body. Well, the tears in Mary pool in her eyes, and then she can't contain them. They stream uncontrollably from her eyes. She's blinded by grief, maybe bitterness, disappointment, frustration, embarrassment, maybe even shame that she didn't do more or say more. Maybe with anger that Jesus promises seem to be perhaps false. Her despair overwhelming, all of it. She could not dare to believe that the words of the strange messenger could possibly be true. She could not even dare to hope. And so her tears continue. She buries her head in her hands, and she sobs. She is despairing and downcast. Can you relate to that? I know it's Easter, and it should be all skittles and rainbows today. But unless the resurrection of Christ addresses the real hurts and brokenness of this world, why bother? And so we're here to say two things. It's a broken world and there hurts but there is a risen Savior and he hopes. And so you may have, maybe these words can relate to you. Maybe as you walk with Mary, maybe you've experienced the despair and loss she's experiencing. Maybe in your life you've been hearing an unrelenting series of no's when all you are longing to hear is one single yes. Maybe there has been a bitter, a bitter loss and it pierces your heart with every memory. Maybe there's an anger unresolved in you from a miscarriage of justice, and it's been unaddressed. Maybe, there's a, maybe you've been longing for love or a relationship, and that love is unreturned, unfulfilled. Maybe you have been praying faithfully, persistently, again and again, and it seems as if the heavens are only silent. It may even have resulted in an apathy and a bitterness that might be creating an attitude within you of, who cares? Maybe you're experiencing a despair that takes you to a darkness that seems no light can penetrate. I could keep going. I wish I couldn't. I could keep talking, couldn't I? Today, this morning in Sri Lanka, Uh, Multiple series of bombs were timed to go off at the same time while the Christian community was worshipping, celebrating Christ's resurrection. It calls for our prayer. Um, But it does not call for our answers. Already I'm seeing posting in between services, postings of the Christian community continuing to declare the victory of Christ, continuing to say that terror and death does not have the last word, but those that hurt is still real and those losses are still genuine those cuts and wounds are deep that is the truth so let us never pretend by simply saying the words forgive me you don't have to respond here Christ is risen he is risen indeed That simply the saying of the word solves all things so if you're walking with Mary you're in good company Our eyes at times are downcast or the eyes of those we love. Our vision is not always lifted to the heavens. Sometimes it's turned downward simply to our hurts. Remember this, the last thing Mary Magdalene saw was Jesus hanging on the cross. So simply looking up is not the answer to all things. It's who hangs there who is the answer to all things and so her tears do flow because in that moment in Mary's eyes it may have seemed that God had no answers for her and perhaps the answers that God wanted to give she did not want to hear and so she weeps but then behind her she hears a footstep everyone else has scattered and fled Through her tears and her despair, she asks, she can't recognize the one who's behind her. She imagines him to be the gardener. And she says, where have they taken? My Jesus, where's his body? And of course, it's Jesus. And he calls her name. Mary. And then forgive me this license that I'm going to take. Because I imagine that what Jesus says next is, look up, child.
0: Well, are you now when darkness seems to win Where are you now when the world is crumbling Oh Look up, child ooh, ooh, eh. Hey, look up
1: I love that slide that had the Psalm 121 on it. Do you notice something unusual about it? I haven't mentioned this in the other services. It's from God's perspective. Did you notice it's, from the t- it's looking down? see, Jesus called Mary's name. Called her by name, Mary. And it is in the calling of her name that, Jesus, that she recognizes who it is. Jesus calls you and me by name. Today, if you've experienced any of these things, Jesus is calling to you to say, let this victory be your victory. You may live because I live. And so Jesus calls us by name, you and me. Not just knowing our names, which astounds me, that he knows our names but he has his names on our he has our name on his lips as he paid the penalty for our sins as he conquered sin and death in fact I believe his name was on his lips and that's what kept him on the cross he could have come down at any moment and because your name was on his lips he remained so that he could say it is finished to give his life into the hands and care of his father who would raise him up as promised on this the third day. Jesus does not ignore our hurts. He does not hurt those, but ignore the wounds. Jesus understands why it is that we look down and our gaze may be downcast. But he is unrelenting in inviting us to look up again. To look into his eyes. To know that today it is of living importance, vital importance that we look up. To not allow death and sin to have the final word. And no lingering word of defeat to remain in us, to steal from us the promise of life and joy as we look forward. And so Jesus invites us again, without ceasing, again and again, look up, child. We look up and we see the angels announce his birth. To look up and see the star that guided them to the Savior of the nations. To look up as Jesus teaches of grace to lift our heads out of the law and retribution and to look up to forgiveness and grace. To look up as Jesus is lifted up on a cross. To look up and to see the scars of love that are now healed. To look up and to see our risen Savior the Lord of lords, the King of kings, look up today into all eternity to see and see such love as our souls have yearned for in the eyes of him who has never, not once, ever taken his eyes off of you. You are purchased and won forgiven, and free. Alive. You are alive with our Savior. Alive with our Jesus. Look up, child. Christ has won. Death is defeated. Sin has no power. And you are his very own. Now and always. Amen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. If you have any questions or comments about this sermon, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org and make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take
0: grace with you anywhere you go.